I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This week's Lore Watch comes with a spoiler warning. In our interview with Madeline Rue, we will be talking about the upcoming novel, Shadows Rising, which, if you're listening to this on Patreon, releases today. So please be aware that there will be mild spoilers ahead. And as always, thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, and with me, as always, is my wonderful co-host and phenomenal sidekick, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Stop wasting time on me. Let's move on. Come on, let's go. <laughs> and of course, uh, today, as promised, we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, Madeline Rue is with us, uh, a wonderful author with uh, of the Asylum series, the House of Furies, and of course, World of Warcraft, Shadowlands, Shadow Rising. How are you doing today? Good. Excited to be here. Uh, excited to talk about Warcraft, as always. Um, I had like a little break in the podcast this weekend, so I have like more energy and fired up fired up oh. to talk about it <laughs> fantastic so I, I guess we'll get started with uh i mean are you a fan of warcraft before this were you a player were uh or is this sort of your first foray into the universe i, I know a lot of people are going to ask that question oh no it's fair it's fair no this is i've been uh, a warcraft player and lover since the rts days oh there goes my dog right on schedule um. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, so I, yeah, this is, you know, the, the universe has been in my life for, you know, going on 20 years now. So, uh, yeah, I, I will say like, you know, I've taken breaks now and again, oh, of course, like, it's busy or whatever, but you know, Britain I, books. I always, of course you took breaks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it is, it is a hard hobby to have when you work from home and you know, like it, it's, it's very easy to just get sucked into leveling yet another alt instead of going to work. So uh, yeah, no, it's um, on and off, yeah, for for the last 15, 20 years. So I am, you know, up until I got the, the job to write the Traveler series, I was just a fan myself. Oh, wonderful. 
Uh, so I guess we'll start. Uh, I'll let Matt do uh, do his round of questions if he has anything specific he wants to ask you up first. So um, I have one thing I was going to ask that, that jumped out at me when I was reading the book. There's a, a huge fan base for a specific character pairing, and that that you you've given. I don't know what word to use here. Fuel, uh, an exploding <laughs> bonfire, uh, a, a crashed aircraft full wind, of you know wind, wind in the it, sails of the ship. <laughs> yeah, uh, I wouldn't say that. I'd say it's very much canon now. Okay, so let's yeah. let's let's get right to it. Flynn Fairwind and Matthias Shaw. Yes. How did you did oh, they tell you to do that? Did you decide to do that? How did that happen? Because no, I was, was really happy to see it. Yeah, that no, that was very much um, part of the outline that I was given. It was um, that was Blizzard's choice, and I, I mean, I was all for it. And yeah, it was truly just such an honor to sort of put the you know this first kind of big on-screen uh, same-sex couple into the universe. And I know there's been a few like smaller ones that have made it into the game, but um, yeah, you know, these are two pretty big tentpole characters and. Yeah. When was making the past expansion, Matthias has been around forever. I was really excited to read that when I finally got to it in your book. Yeah, and um, you know, I think they're such a fun. I love writing odd couples or sort of unexpected couples. I think it's I think it's so much fun. Like obviously doing Lorthamar and Thalissa was great, but they are sort of like birds of a feather in a lot of ways. Where mm -hmm. um, Flynn and Shaw have. So much, so many differences, and so it was fun, and also a challenge, obviously, because there's points in the book where they're separated. So it, you know, it was hard to sort of make this romance blossom while they're, first of all, very different people, but also uh, separated at certain points. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and it was really cool. They let me, you know, color in a lot of both of their backstories, um, and especially they gave me a lot of freedom with with uh, Flynn and just getting to sort of give him more depth in terms of not just having him be a goofball all the time was was really special so yeah i mean i was geeking out i was i was so excited <laughs> when they told me that and then throughout the book i think hopefully you picked up on you know there's quite a bit of um queer representation all the way throughout yes and um that was intentional on my part because you know i knew this was coming i knew we were um putting this you know canon couple into the universe and for me, it was important to kind of set the stage of like, okay, this is normal in this universe. This is just how it is. And um, just, I don't know, just to sort of make it feel like it's like a regular aspect of daily life. It's, you know, like it doesn't have to be this big thing. So Yeah, I, um, one of the things that kind of disappointed me a few years back was when Star Wars said something to the effect of there's no such thing as queer people in our universe. I don't know if you remember yeah, that. Yeah, that's not, that was, not a great statement. <laughs> so when I saw it, I saw this pairing in your book, I was like, I, as somebody who is, that, that kind of speaks to me, I was like really excited. So I wanted to, I wanted to make sure to address it up front because I was like really excited for it. And I thought, I really love, and I don't want, I'm not, I'm, we, we do a spoiler warning. People know that they're spoilers, but I don't, I'm not going to just throw all the details of the book out. I mean, that's what the book's for. Go read it. Sure. But sure. I, I loved the, uh, the bit at the very end when they reunite uh and you you just brilliantly encapsulate both of their personalities in how they act when they see each other again and i oh, really yes. loved that it was just such a 
I, I did no point that I think that this wasn't that, that that's exactly what Matthias Shaw would do and absolutely how he would act in that situation. It's like, yeah, it's great to see you, but for, okay, but your king, my, my king, this, yeah. we'll, we'll get back to that. You know, yeah. I, I really did. think That was great. So I wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Thank you. That's really, that's so good to hear. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm nervous about, about reception and I'm sure there'll be a lot of opinions about it, but um, you know, one of the things I wanted to make sure happened was that, because this is sort of a shift and something new, I still wanted it to make sure it felt very much in character for both of them. Oh, it, it totally does. You did and, an amazing job. And that's one of the things, like, I, I know I mentioned this on social media the other day, and I, and I stand by this statement. There are very few authors that I feel find a voice for characters or, or write in such a way, like in this particular circumstance, that feel natural or feel just like it's part of the world. And you really accomplish that here where it, I've seen so many books where like it's shoehorned in or, or this, it just feels disingenuous, but like Matt saying, like everything here feels normal. It feels right. It fits. It fits perfectly. Um, I really appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that it doesn't feel like something. Somebody's just like, Oh, just do this. And you went and did it. It's no, it fits. It fits the characters, um, which now you mentioned a little bit earlier, and I picked up on this where they said they gave you a lot of, of leeway as far as filling in the backgrounds for the characters. Did they basically let you find the voice for those characters on your own, or did they give you a little more heavy guidelines regarding that? Um, I would say in terms of, you know, if you're talking about sort of their, their dialogue or their internal monologue, that was really my focus. You know, that was my job to really take that on. Um, there were definitely times where, Especially, like, I think I have an easier time, and I, I'm sure this comes to, I think it's perhaps devastatingly obvious that writing Flynn is probably the most fun I had in, in the book, <laughs> but um, <laughs> he and I just get on, like, a house on fire, very similar in a lot of ways. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, with some of the more, um, like, high-status characters, like, sort of like the Night Elf contingency, there were a lot of times where it was like, eh, we're not sure they would use this specific word, you know what I mean? Like, then it becomes more of a talk and more of a compromise in terms of, you know, we really want to make sure we maintain this sort of, um, this, like, elevated speech that they all have. Um, like, I tried to have Thalissa crack a few more jokes, and <laughs> those are taken out. Um, but I, I was like, oh, come on, I want she's funny. Um, but, yeah, no, it's with the backstory stuff again it was sort of like i think what the way i approached it was i knew we weren't going to have any like major major you know uh events in this book that would make it impossible to, to understand shadowlands going in so uh when we had the outline finalized and they said you know go it's time it's time to write um, at that point i was like okay i'm gonna take as many risks as i possibly can and push as far as I can, and then they can rein me back in. <laughs> so, you know, I just kind of made decisions uh, that I felt were, were right for the characters. And then if there was a disagreement on their end, then it became a conversation. But um, like with Flynn's backstory, with the stuff with his mom, like that was just like, they were just like, this feels right, like done sort of thing, so. Once you brought that up a little bit, I wanted to kind of go into it. For, for all that this is a basically a lead-in to, to the next expansion, uh, this book is not really about that so much as it's about relationships, I think. At least that's how I would say if I was writing a review of it. Oh, I would like agree, it's, yeah. It's the relationships between the various characters. Like, not just, you know, some of the like the, are the, the big story moments, like the, the relationship between Juan Samdi and Talanji is a big part of it. How that, how that goes from almost being, like, enforced on her to, by the end, she's sort of 
I don't want to say renegotiated, but I don't know what other word you'd use. I think that's right. I think she's yeah. uh, I think she's sort of um, taking control of her destiny a little more, you know, okay. and, and making a more consenting decision. <laughs> and then there's uh, there's the relationship between you know the, the various horde leaders trying to figure out how do we do this? We have no idea what we're doing. There's Flynn and uh, Shaw. Um, there's Anduin and himself in a way, like trying to trying to actually like lead his country and not knowing what you know he, he feels like he's got the pressure of everything on him to get it all done mm-hmm. and that's that's a big part of it i thought uh i really liked there's a bit at the end um with taronda who's one of my favorite characters despite everybody getting mad at me, oh, me too that. she's my fave <laughs> yeah. and i really i thought it was you did an amazing job with not a lot of time to kind of encapsulate where she is right now uh and what she's thinking and and it I, I was really surprised to see Sarah Moon Warden even be in the book. I'll be upfront. I did not expect her to be a main character mm-hmm. and much less to be, I don't know if you, I'd say she's, I'm not going to say she's more important than Nathanos, but in a lot of ways, she's like the perfect foil for Nathanos where she does not care. Like she's not afraid of him at all. And yeah. there's nothing he can do to make her be afraid of him. Mm-hmm. And for for all his, you know, he's got that relationship with Sylvanas, which is so important to him. And you do an amazing thing with it by the end of the book, um, where he has to go to Sylvanas in yeah. a, in, a, in a bad position. He's not, <laughs> yeah. and that that's that's a big part of it too. So, when you were writing it, is like is that how you approach it? Do you like start off thinking, okay, what are the character relationships? Where am I gonna like? Because that's where the the heart of the stories really seems to come from is these characters. And how they interrelate and how they relate to each other is like is that what you were starting off with or like where were you going with this um you know it's hard because you are given such a specific uh list of events and even you know the order to some extent so uh for me then the fun is in finding okay well, where's the real juice in this like where's the real meat and for me it did come down to relationships and it does come down to how do i make these kind of larger than life characters feel more realistic and more well-rounded and not just flawed but you know they all have internal motivations they all have agendas and i really wanted to dig down into the sort of nathanos and sierra thing because again there's a lot of odd couples in this book (laughs) Um, but uh i think you know their relationship is really weird and really strange because uh my personal reading of nathanos uh and this may be controversial but this is how i see it is that you know, he and Sylvanas are like trauma bonded in a lot of ways, and he is more loyal to her than he is to the mission. So he is always going to put her needs and her commands ahead of everything else, where Sira is not in that position, right? She could kind of like, mm-hmm. she's not as interested. So um, she, it was interesting. I had to find, we had to find a way to like make her make sense um, in terms of why is she even doing this? Why is she even yeah. still going? Um, you did an amazing I, job with that, by the way. Um, there's a particular passage where you have Sarah say something to the effect of where Nathanos is like saying, you, you messed this up, and she's saying something like, I don't care. All I care about is you know inflicting enough pain to make it bearable. Yeah, so, she's really in this transition of, you know, she's still um, coming to terms with this new body she's in, this new brain she's in, and um, you know, she's sort of lashing out in every direction because it's the only thing that sort of quiets <laughs> her mind for a little while. And, uh, you know, I think when we were having conversations, a lot of it was like, you know, she's following 
this path and she's serving these people right now because it allows her to do the most amount of carnage and create the most amount of mayhem because that's the only thing that makes her feel anything right now um and so yeah so they while they're while her and nathanos are working together uh it's not an easy partnership by any means and i think by the end of the book you really see um i wouldn't say she's necessarily questioning i don't think she's ever really had a loyalty once she you know her transition so um yeah it it was it was an interesting challenge because we didn't want to give her uh, like her motivations are so are so complex in a weird way but then also so simple in that right now at this minute the only thing that she can really do is just lash out because at least that makes her like feel feel something no you, you uh, did a really amazing job with it especially the very end scene of yes her in front yep. of that, that might be one of my favorite sequences in in the book just her just getting her in Toronto in her room was <laughs> kind of a dream so I was gonna say the not only that, but like that entire final scene, and, and 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 it hit me really hard just because I'm sitting there reading it, and it's like here's two essentially broken people, you know, being forced to sort of come to terms with their new realities, not just Siramur, but also Tehran. Like th- that's another key moment there, and then you have you know her lieutenants come in and and sort of they well, a, I, mean, I, I don't want I'm trying to think of the right word for it it's they don't smooth it over but they they give perspective perspective that I think either of them didn't have before going into it and it sort of changes how you view not just Sierra Moore but also Toronto and I really yeah. appreciate that yeah I think having those you know I think the function of sort of that chorus of night elf voices is to have a whole range of opinions right because you have Taronda who wants to do one thing and then you have, you know, these two other voices that kind of represent varying opinions among the night elves, because I, I think it's a mistake to sort of be like, all the night elves are in agreement. Like this is the way to fix things. Right. So I, I wanted, I, I think it was important to kind of have that range of opinions and not just be like, everyone agrees with Taronda, whatever yeah. she says goes. Um, and I think having those relationships that kind of recognize how broken she is in that moment is, really crucial you did like an amazing job too and i'm not going to belabor that this scene because there's a whole book to read guys um <laughs> but the the mayev contribution to that conversation when mayev mm-hmm. shadows don't you know is telling you you know you used to be better than this it's like you're saying i shouldn't be vengeful right now and it was just like it was so it was it was perfect. I honestly thought that that was like one of the best turns of a character. Not not a turn. She didn't become somebody else, but it's it's a really nice introspective moment for a character who has not had a lot of introspective moments in the past few years. Yeah. So yeah, I, I really that's why I'm I'm harping on it now, and I apologize if I'm you know I'm no, fan gushing. One of my favorite scenes. It honestly is one of my favorite sequences. Um, even just some of the lines that that I got to do for Taronda that. I felt, you know, really strongly about and really proud of. And um, yeah, I think Maya, you know, coming to this realization of like how much her life has been about um, anger and vengeance and sort of being like, like, I think there's a little bit of reflection happening for her there, right? Like she doesn't get a huge arc in this book by any stretch, but I think, you know, whenever you can see yourself reflected in, in another person's behavior, it, it really can trigger um, a revelation in a sense. And so... I think when she sees Taronda, like how how much she's changed, how far she's come from this person she used to be, I think it's really affecting for 
for both of them. Another set of, of, of characters that I really appreciated your characterization for was Illyria and Turalyon. And mostly (laughs) that's it, right? Like, so we've been talking, this is something Matt and I have been talking about for, for months at this point where, you know, the void is one thing, the light is another thing, but there's not always this cut and dry, good and bad. And seeing Trillian willing to participate in questionable acts because it's serving a greater good it's like this wonderful encapsulation of how somebody who wields the light for justice justifies their actions and continues on and we've been talking about it and we haven't really had a scene like that recently that i can think of and just seeing how he's complicit in that complicit in what happens and and sort of oh if it goes too far i can stop it but can he really? And you have all these questions, these doubts, and, and it puts new light on the dynamic of those two and and what potentially could happen in the future with them. Uh, they were incredibly well characterized and well written. Uh, I really love them. That horror on Jaina's face when she realizes what they're doing, sees what they're doing. Like it is just this wonderful moment of, yeah, OK, they're not always just pure squeaky clean good guys and i really yeah. love that i think um something a theme that emerged that i didn't really expect to see emerge is sort of like uh questioning hero worship mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and i think there's that's laced all throughout this uh not just because we're in the minds of some of these like you know heroic epic larger than life people and you kind of see them question have, have their own questions and their own their own flaws but um, you know, their statues are in front of Stormwind. They're kind of feel like these untouchable pillars of whatever, you know, legend. And I think having someone like Jaina come in and be like, oh, I thought it was one way. Turns out it's another. And that maybe your um, your past deeds aren't necessarily enough to justify <laughs> always, always getting your way, sort of. And um, yeah, that was like a very specific part of the book that, that uh, Blizzard was interested in having me explore is sort of um, not just the nature of Illyria and Trillian's relationship, but the nature of what it means when, the you know, the people who are on two sides, you know, the void and the light, like, what does it look like sort of if they're working together <laughs> and uh, not necessarily in a good way. And, you know, and I think, too, there's I think there'll be a lot of people who read the book and are like, well, it's totally justified, right? Like. The mission is needs to get done. Sylvanas is at large. Like this is totally justified. And then I think you'll have people who are like, "Uh oh, <laughs> like this is bad," you know. So, um, and I think it's meant to be read. You know, I think it's meant to be interpreted however you would like it to be interpreted. But um, and I think too, we, some of the even more interesting stuff to me was okay. So they're doing that right, um, and then Jaina, obviously Anduin finds out about it, and I think his reaction is is also really interesting oh absolutely that was that was a fun part to do (laughs) now speaking of anduin too like he we've seen anduin grow up over the course of you know our entire time in the game world and over several novels uh but one of the things that i think gets lost a lot is the fact that he is also again human he's he's not perfect and you see that here as well. Uh, he's a child. He, he's very much a child. Yeah, exactly. He's a child playing at being king. And 
like that that scene the whole the whole thing where he disappears and and goes out to the bar and you know he's got boot uh boot shine in his hair and mud on his boots and his cloak pulled up tight and he comes up with the name Jarek and that whole sequence like I know a lot of people will probably say oh that seems out of place here but I disagree I think it's perfect I think it's this perfect encapsulation of he it was always a kid that got thrust into this role and now he's dealing with the fact that the soldiers are talking about being willing to die for him. He has to deal with all the atrocities of everything that's happened. And everybody looks to him and this incredible amount of pressure. And I think it's relatable. It's especially now, like it's entirely relatable where sometimes you just, you don't want to deal with all the responsibilities. You want that, that night at the pub. You want that, that get away and, and be, be a kid again for, even if it's for one night. And I think it yeah. was a very important, powerful sequence. Thank you. I think that's actually my favorite show. Uh, there's two that are kind of tied. That one and, and the Shaw in, in prison chapter, I think, are my two favorites. But um, yeah, I think, you know, for me, I, one of the things I looked at when I was writing about Andrew, and especially particularly that chapter, I was like, wow, this poor kid really doesn't have any friends his own age, does he? <laughs> like, No, he never really he's has. He's hanging out with like Gen and Torellian and, you know, like all that Jaina, like all these people who are like much older than him. And, and it's much older than everybody else, except mm-hmm. for Turalyon's yeah. a thousand years old, technically. Right, right. And yeah. so for me, it's sort of interesting to be like, well, what would happen to you if you just kind of didn't have a childhood in a lot of ways and then didn't really have peers that you could, you know, bounce ideas off of? Like, you know, yeah, during quarantine, I mean, how, how much are we all finding out how much we rely on our friends and those like nights where you're like, okay, let's just go on, sit on a patio and like have a few margaritas, right? And for me, it's like, that's his life all the time. Like he is always in that state of, okay, I can never let my guard down. I can never let anyone see who I really am. I can never be vulnerable with anybody. And so to me, it felt like, you know, he it just gets to a breaking point and occasionally he has to like uh, vent it somehow. And um, yeah, so that was my interpretation. And yeah, I'm sure there'll be people who hate it but um yeah i i you know i was pushing for other i was pushing for like maybe like even edgier sort of ways for him to blow off steam but i i think this is you know a good compromise and i i really i stand behind that that chapter you definitely put you kept that going too towards the end when, when you see Andrew at the end of the story there's a moment where he alarms the you know jaina and i i i remember thinking wow okay that's so that's something going forward that that had that Anduin hasn't had for a long time, like an actual edge to him. Yeah, like and he, I think he, you know he's fresh off of decking Rathion in the face, so you know, <laughs> I was like, that's that's part that's kind of like his starting point, right, in this book. And I think hopefully by the end it it feels like that's carried through, and you see him kind of fraying at the edges in a lot of ways. Now, another character that I thought was really well done and I thought fit really well as far as giving character characterization specifically to uh, Talanji was Apari. Uh, that oh, was thank you. <laughs> so it, it was one of those those dark horse things for me. Like I was like, oh, you know, this is going to be the main villain or this is going to be the one that's, you know, the architect of all this unrest. But when you start getting into the meat of her character and you start understanding like, why she is how she is, what she's trying to do, where her mind space is, it starts to make a whole lot more sense. Like, I remember reading it at first, and I'm like, okay, well, they're, she's got a, a real bad leg. She's got an infection. She won't let anybody take it off. Well, why? That doesn't make any sense. Wouldn't she want to live longer in order to to exact her revenge? And then you get further and further in, and you start to to really understand not only what she means 
as far as being a villain in the story, but to the Zandalari as a whole, and specifically to Talanji, and almost as if a representation of how uh, Talanji has let herself sort of not see the forest for the trees, have lost track of, you know, her people for so long, and didn't really have perspective. Apari's almost like the embodiment of that. And I don't know if I'm reading too far into that or if that was intentional. No, that's uh, not. You're dead. You're right on. Yes! <laughs> you got it. Yeah, no, she was a fun. I mean, get obviously who, who doesn't love the, the chance to invent a wild villain. Um, <laughs> and, but also, you know, I did, I wanted to keep her uh, really grounded and not, you know, mustache twirling and, and all that kind of stuff. And for me, you know, Talanji's vengeance is such a huge, part of her life right now uh, where, where where she's at you know it's even the the source of all the tension with the horde so for me it was natural to pick someone who's kind of yeah this symbol of all the things that have gone wrong kind of in Talanji's life but give it to somebody else and see it from their perspective of like well yeah your behavior really screwed me over too you know like you're obsessed with with getting revenge on Jaina like how do you feel I'm obsessed with coming after you you know for this uh, perceived uh, slight, you know what I mean? I don't want to like get into too much detail for spoilers, but even the source of that need for revenge is kind of like really sad in a way. It's you know, it's not like Talanji like went out of her way to do something bad to this person, and, and so to me, it's like it's watching the way that that just just a simple mistake or a simple moment of weakness like that can engender this whole new chapter in someone's life and suddenly all they are is consumed by their need to to get revenge and um yeah i mean she was she was a lot of fun to do and i i hope people feel like she fits in the world and feel like she sort of can stand toe to toe with Thanos and Sira because it just didn't feel like we needed a, a faction of the zandalari as well who kind of represented this sense of unhappiness and, and unrest that was growing on the continent well i'm going to jump in here because you mentioned her. Uh, she hasn't gotten talked about yet by us, and that feels like a shame. And you wrote an entire short story with her and Lorthamar. So, Thalysra. I, I, <laughs> I really love the way you did Thalysra. I uh, especially loved Thalysra at the end when she is... I don't know exactly what word to use. I, I almost feel like she's gossiping with Talanji, but not quite. <laughs> not quite, but... It does it. You do a really good job of showing a, a, a different side of Thalystra than we might have gotten from the game. Or in the game, like such a politician to me. In a yeah, lot of ways. in, in the know, game we see her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In the game we see her just when she's leading her revolution or when she's moving the the Nightborn into the Horde. But here you get to see her as a political animal. So I, I, I don't really, I don't know exactly what to ask you so much as like, how are you approaching her? What did you? What were you doing with her? Because I think what you did with her really worked, but I'd like to give you a chance to talk about it. Thank you. Um, you know, I wish I had more time with her in the book. I think, you know, that was a lot of the, the impetus for doing a moment in verse. Her and Lorthamar don't get a ton of screen time. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, when I look at someone like her, she's so now, she's so poised and put together. And, um, you know, she's so much experience. And to me, when I see her trajectory and I see you know where we meet her initially in the game and then where she is now like my interpretation is of someone who's really like coming back kind of getting their second wind right like real like like back where they belong 
they're out now they're out of you know this bubble they've been in for so long and they can like enjoy the world enjoy new experiences obviously she's still politically minded but to me i just see her as sort of like thriving <laughs> in a way so um i wanted to give her a chance to to show that to be like no i enjoy being out and about i enjoy being part of this board council experiment and leading from the front and you know, and I think too, I'm sure she sees in Talanji like a lot of herself. I think, um, you know, she can see set this young new queen and how much pressure that is and how complicated it is. So, you know, I hope there's a sense kind of towards the end of her, maybe like uh, taking her under her wing, so to speak. I don't want it to be like condescending about it, but you know, recognize like game recognizes game, you know, right? <laughs> so I, I think she's sort of seeing like, okay, like she, you know, she made it through. This was another huge test and, you know, she made it out alive and maybe it's time for me to sort of like extend a hand and be like, hey, you're not alone. There are, you know, there are other, there's other female leadership here that, you know, we can maybe kind of, you know, like let's get drinks sometime, you know, <laughs> kind of like make those connections, make those, uh, make those network a little bit um but yeah i mean i hope that comes through i hope like her, her sense of i don't want to say it's like joyful but like the sense of like she's out in the world that she's you know doing what she wants and she's got her man and i don't know that was sort of where i saw her no i i really enjoyed i i, I like the short story as well i don't we're not really here to talk about it but it's a really good short story uh, but i i'm just glad i'm glad to see like characters who don't get a lot of time get some time is that, that if that makes sense so yeah i'm gonna then take the opportunity to jump on to another you, you already said you basically did they tell you they told you what characters to use or did you decide to use Zekon? no he was stipulated for sure yeah that was part you know i was kind of given the you know here are the perspectives we'd like to have we want to have you know talanji thrall anduin you know like here are kind of the heavy hitters we'd like and sort of a general order of how things would play out um, but no, Zakan was definitely part of it from the beginning. And, um, you know, there were little times, like, I put I put in, like, you know, Jaina's mom. Like, you know, but I just, like, that felt right for the scene. So she would be there, you know, th things like that. But, yeah. Um, and, like, with the horse, like, you know, who comes where with um, certain people when they go on missions. Like, I, I kind of directed that a little bit with their uh, permission, obviously. But, no, Zakan was, from the beginning, was like, okay, we want him to have a bigger part um, so, like, having him and Rokan in it as much as they're in it, uh, that was definitely, like, stipulated, yeah. <laughs> but, but you're the one that came over with Rokan relentlessly tormenting Zakan in, in, a, in a brotherly way? <laughs> that is me. Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> that I, I see him brilliant. as sort of a, a pop-up. You know, Rakan's the pushing 50, I think. So Yeah, he's getting up I, there. Yeah, he's getting up there. So I saw him as sort of, like, this sort of exasperated older mentor <laughs> for, for Zakan, who is just a, just a cinnamon bun through and through and um and it was great to have zakan because he's sort of this just golden-hearted and a little naive i mean becoming less naive obviously by the minute but um uh you know i think he's fresh off of this trauma with Sourfang, and and so he's spinning out a little bit doesn't know where he's gonna land and now he's put in this position of you know power and responsibility and you know i, I think it's cool because you kind of have him anduin and Talanji, all of a similar age kind of approaching responsibility and leadership from different perspectives in different directions but um yeah and i feel oh so bad <laughs> about what happens to him but yeah um, no i mean you know yeah okay I'm, again not spoiling it, it but yeah it, yeah he takes it on the chin there's um, a there's a line in particular when you are introducing him 
to it, it's near the end of the book after Zakhan has been through the major trauma that he's going to be through. Mm-hmm. And he says something to the effect of someone's like, I'm usually he's like, I'm usually very handsome. Like, <laughs> which I just thought was brilliant. It was like, you know, ordinarily I'm quite handsome or something like he's that. Like, yeah. Like under, under all this, like, yeah, I think he makes a little joke about his current state, but yeah, no, he was, he was a lot of fun to work with. And, you know, and I felt very like, uh, nervous, obviously I think there's conflicted feelings about him kind of being this mean Lord, but, uh, um, I'll, I'll, I'll be upfront with you. I did not like him before this book. Like, I, I, that I, is, my mission. I was like, that is an accurate statement my, for Matt. <laughs> Yeah, one no, I, of my one of my goals was to make the case for him. I was like, if I can, if I can, there's a few things in this book. I'm like, if I can get you on board with like these three things, then I've done my job. So. Well, then there's a good example now to ask, what were those three things besides Sakan since you covered that? Um, I think making the case for. Hmm. Well, I think making the case for like patience from the fandom of like this is all you're gonna get your answers this is all gonna play out we haven't forgotten the night elves we haven't forgotten x y you know like it's coming you have to be patient there's it's a long game here so that that was one thing i wanted to get across number two i really wanted to obviously sell the new couple that we have um and just an openness in general to more queer identities in the in the universe that was my my second kind of goal and then third yeah because Zakan up to this point hasn't had as much sort of like interiorness to him um I wanted to make sure I made the case for him as like a larger lore character no I think you really did just because partially because you you your story of him acknowledges how thoroughly out of his element he is like he was was up on a wall he saw a guy he walked over and said hey aren't you and then this 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 role this life he is now living which is not us right he's us in the game he's like you know level one noob stumbling out of uh, you know whatever the first building (laughs) that you spawn in and suddenly he's hanging out with you know these legends so for me he he kind of functions as this way in for us the audience who our level one character is now 120 and and rubbing elbows and is the champion and all this other stuff but but back in the day you know who wasn't starstruck the first time they like rolled into starwind a stormwind my bad stormwind and heard the music crest Mm -hmm. right like i think he's like living that (laughs) all the time and uh, you know and i love to getting to have him like see uh zandalar and like whoa you know like you would have heard all about this as a little baby troll and now like check it out you are here in this golden pyramid like how how swanky is that so yeah i I liked having him be this sort of like more wholesome naive kind of window into giants that's why i liked the rokan relationship with him too because rokan feels much more like the guy who's been playing for years yeah. And yeah, someone else so just started <laughs> playing. So he's like, yeah, great. Like, it's really great that you're excited, but could you just focus up? Cause we got a quest to get, we got to get done. I, right. I really, and like I, eyes up, right? Like you're, yeah. you're, you're in a, you're in over your head, sir. Yeah. So I, I really, I do want to compliment you on that. You did a great job as a con. I, I, I straight you. up when it, I went into this book, dreading reading an entire book with him in it. I was like, oh God, not this guy. And I think people I think people it's interesting what I'm noticing is what people think the book is or like what who they think is the main character kind of and 
I think a lot of people are like, oh, Zakan is the main character. I'm like, eh, not really. I mean, he's in it, right? Oh, like, he's in it. Yeah, he's got a like, good chunk of it, but he's not. Yeah. No, he's not the lead. I don't even he's know. He's not the I lead, and I don't think anyone really is. Yeah, it's, it's an ensemble cast. So. Oddly enough, I'd almost, I'm almost willing to say Sylvanas is the lead, even though she barely appears. Her Just presence because, is certainly yeah. felt <laughs> throughout. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's the entire book where a whole bunch of people are reacting to Sylvanas Windrunner. And you know, it drives it drives what Anduin's doing. It drives what obviously what Torellian and Alaria are doing. It drives what you know a lot of stuff that's going on. The whole deal with Juan Samdi, it's all very tied up in her. Even though again, she barely appears. Yes, and yeah, that's, that that's too. Really... I think a lot of people think it's like Sylvanas on screen all the time in this book, and I'm like, eh, she'd be on the cover <laughs> if that was the case. Uh, but yeah, no, she's definitely like. I think the ripples of her actions are felt in almost every chapter um, and in almost every everything that people do. So, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I'm so, I'm so pleased you, you are at least neutral on Zakan now. That was absolutely No, I straight up liked concerns. him. Oh, good, okay. <laughs> By the end of the book, I actually straight up liked him. Oh, I my mean, God, it, that's so flattering. That's it honestly, didn't, that's great. It didn't hurt that he got very, very badly injured. <laughs> so I, I felt a moment of yes and then i was well, like oh like, no no he's yeah, actually like, not that bad right and you know and the way that it happens is so in, intentional on on our part because he's really saying like okay you know if i'm going to be part of this war or whatever if i'm going to be part of this faction like there's going to be times where i have to lead from the front lines and kind of the first time he he tries to do that he he gets hurt like just trying to be a good person just trying to help just you know sort of his nature determines the way that that he gets hurt and um i will also say just from playing the game and his it, as soon as they told me i had to do stuff in zandalar i was like someone's gonna burn in a tar pit because that's <laughs> all i thought about when I was in <laughs> as a player i was like oh ooh, this spooks me out what if like someone lights a match we're in trouble what about what is my mage gonna do she's fire so uh, yeah, uh, that was. That, I think his fate was actually written far before I ever ever thought of that. But now, uh, another thing that I, I thought was really uh, nice here was there was sort of a. I don't want to say like a, a life lesson, but there was definitely something here that I thought was very important. It was the interactions between Talanji and Bwamsamdi, specifically in the fact that Talanji is constantly asking him to see her father, because this is something that Bwamsamdi could easily do, right? This is something we've seen him do in the past. We've seen him bring uh, in-game people up, and, and we can talk to them. Why? And, and it's this whole thing of, why won't Bwamsamdi do this for her throughout the entirety of the book? Uh, here she is, this young queen, very much like Anduin, uh, trying to figure out her way, inheriting this this debt that she never agreed to, that she still has to pay, uh, dealing with all this civil unrest, dealing with everything and having to, to grow beyond it. And you get to the, the, the big payoff at the end is when she finally figures out who she is and what she needs to do, that's when Bwam Samdi says, okay, here's a couple minutes with your dad. Um, and it was this... this wonderful moment of like okay now i can see where talanji has grown up a little bit she's learned a little bit she's found her own path and i thought it was interesting because it it was sort of like this evolution point for her but it also characterized Bwam samdi in a way that i didn't 
think I really wanted to accept coming into this, which was he actually might care about things as opposed to just himself. Uh, so it was really, really nicely done there. Yeah, we really, um, initially I really wanted, was pushing for him to actually be a POV character so we could like get in his mind. But I think in the end, this was the right choice because I think just the what he does tells you a lot about him um, and it's not necessary to sort of get in his head and, and it's cool to preserve the mystery, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, right. Oh boy, puppies. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so for me, you know, I think that's an I think that's an accurate reading of, of what you're supposed to take away from this because uh, you know he's such a trickster he's such a troll <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah uh, yeah I was like oh, rim shot um, and but you know I think when you realize what their bond also means like just physically like what their actual what the actual pact could mean for her. Um, you know, we really had to make sure she goes on this journey with him so that by the end, when she's kind of quote unquote one and could get rid of this, this bargain, like she realizes, wait a minute, he's actually kind of been there for me more than I thought. Uh, and even just on a personal level, he's like intervened, to, you know, she like once on me bumps Zakan so that she doesn't get poisoned <laughs> at the beginning of the book, like he's looking out for her in so many ways that it all kind of finally clicks for her and she's like well how can we make this work so that i'm not entirely reliant on him but i'm still acknowledging that he really has gone out of his way to like save me and save my reign and then in a lot of ways save sandalar because oh what a nightmare it would be if she also was dead you know what i mean like the power vacuum would just be incredible and and, and could really mean some some really scary terrible stuff for for Zandalar. So, so yeah, I think, um, I hope by the end people's perception of one zombie shifts a little bit to, to let it, to see that like, he's not, his sole motivation isn't just to mess with people. Like he certainly enjoys that. And that's sort of how he derives his power, right? He keeps everybody sort of on their toes and keeps them off balance. And he, he always knows he's always like, you know, a few steps ahead, but, um, but there is like genuine feelings inside of him too. He's not just this, I think sometimes when you have a pantheon of gods and they all kind of represent something, it's easy to just make them a caricature of that and be like, this is all they care about is this one thing. Um, but I think it was important to show that, no, he actually has like feelings and, and preferences, <laughs> you know, that, that go beyond just being the, the god of death. I think I want to go into a little bit more, though, because you have a piece of dialogue here that I think is really appropriate. When, they're, when they are doing their their renegotiation phase for lack of a better word uh she she says something like i have the other low i have to be represented and he goes well i suppose i don't actually know anything about crops <laughs> and you can hear it like you can actually hear it when you read it like you can hear it in like in the tone of voice of the voice actor who's an amazing voice actor and makes the character and oh he, writing him was so easy because yeah. you could just hear you just knew right away if a line was it didn't sound right but you, that's really, it's really well realized. And I, I wanted to bring this up because you mentioned you wrote the Traveler books. Mm -hmm. um, Joe and I have been paying a lot of attention to a character from the Traveler books, uh, Mozala. Mm -hmm. And without going into spoilers for Shadowlands, because people didn't come here expecting me to dump spoilers about Shadowlands, I think it's fair to say that you, you're, you, I don't want to say you created Mozala because I think Mozala existed before the books, but 
you've definitely made Mozala what he is. Yeah. No, I, I didn't agree write that. the first, so I didn't write the first two traveler books. That was okay. Brad Weissman. I only wrote the third one in which Mozala does not appear. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, that's tough because I think uh this is slight speculation. I think some of the stuff that maybe happened in the traveler books did not necessarily line up with what they're going to be doing yes and so i think there was a uh, um, deliberate pivoting away from using him too much in in the last traveler book um because there were other things they wanted to establish him for um that's not to say that like all the speculation about whom was all it's like i've watched all the videos right i know what people are saying um like i'm not saying like all of that is wrong not by any stretch of the imagination he is a player right in shadowland like that's just it's just true um, and he does come up in Shadows Rising because he does. Yep. Yeah. So I think there's clarification a little bit on on what his role might be in Shadowlands. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I didn't really have any control over him <laughs> in in Traveler. Um, yeah, the third book kind of like pivots away to just make uh, to just make one villain sort of just to simplify things but but i think your characterization at least and it's 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 almost like a throwaway line um in shadows rising i think is important and it it actually is something that we've talked about on the show a lot is you know who is moizala to wam samdi and when wam samdi is talking about you know you'd be lucky that you're dealing with me as opposed to moizala he would eat you alive uh, there's this thing where it's like this palpable, I, I don't want to say like fear, but this is something that we've been speculating on. And that line sort of like feeds into that where it's like, maybe Moizala is actually the boss. Uh, yeah, I think that's a correct reading. You know, that is a very, that line is any of the stuff with Juan Samdi talking about, um, the other side or, you know, the maw or anything like that. That was all very carefully done. That was like a blizzard had a lot of input on, <laughs> on how that got phrased and, and like on a word level kind of making sure it was, it was correct. So uh, yeah, I, I think you're, that's a correct interpretation of his fear of like, you know, she blows him off cause she doesn't know what he's talking about, but he is like, yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> That's not a joke, right? Like he's mostly he's joking, but that is like one of the few times where he's well. Clearly, uh, he, yeah, serious. clearly he wants to be the Loa of Kings. Yes. Like that's actually like he wants to continue to retain that position. It's important to him. He he says as much. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he even I think he even says something the effect of you know I'll still be the Loa of Kings, and she yeah. was like yes, but you're gonna have to like let me listen to other Loa. Uh, and then I thought that was. That's one of the reasons I brought up Mozala. Is I was actually hoping. See now, now that I know you didn't write Mozala, I, I all these questions I can't ask you because it, it, I'm I, so sorry. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, yeah, no. I mean, and and the thing is too, like I think, um, you know, it's it is very intentional to have Juan Zombie in this book and to have him say the things he does. You know, like I think uh, a lot of the times when he's on screen, it's really setting up specific things for for Shadowlands. Um, and yeah, and that line about Moisala, like, you know, all of that is like, it's interesting because I'm seeing people like take out certain lines and assign a lot of meaning to them and they don't have a lot of meaning. And then, but, but things like that, like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like if we're bringing up some of the heavy hitters uh, that feel like they could factor into Shadowlands. Yeah. I mean, that that's definitely intentional. It's definitely there to like plant a seed or to set up something for a, a later reveal. So, 
I'm trying to think of, of how to phrase this. <laughs> With everything that you've done on this this particular story, looking to the future, is there anything else that you'd like an opportunity to explore more if it was ever to come up? Or if, like, I know personally reading through this, like, and, and seeing some of your uh, darker touches to the story, I, I it made me hungry for a horror story based purely in this this world at your hands, um, and to see what you could do with sort of like maybe let you loose in what happens in the maw or something like that. Um, is there anything that while writing this jumped out to you like this is something I would love to spend more time with and and craft more with? Um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely. I would say I would love to get to do more with like the night elves and specifically Taronda with where she's at, because I, I mean, she's just kind of a, I, I just love this like kind of spookier <laughs> side of her, which I, I hope comes out. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's interesting. I think honestly, it's so funny because I think, you know, we're going to Shadowlands and I think there's going to be so many opportunities there, right. For like a great horror story. Um yeah, even if they just let me do a short, you know, something short would be would be tons of fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because there were so many parts of this book going in where I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be good at that or I don't know if I'm going to, like, be into this character. But by the end, I sort of loved all of it so much that now trying to pick, like, trying to tease something out that I would want to go further with is actually really difficult because... Quickly, choose one of your children. Right, right? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I bonded with all of these characters. Um so deeply i don't know i do i do think it's kind of a split opinion because while it's super super fun to get to work with some of these hyper established characters like you know thrall is in it a fair bit and um he feels like someone we know really well but it actually in some ways limits you with a lot with what you can do Mm -hmm. uh so i kind of feel drawn to characters more like flynn where there's still sort of like a lot of these open doors to walk through and a lot more that you can kind of more creativity you can have in a certain way so yeah i think i think my preference is sort of for writing those medium established characters you know or someone like zakan where you're like oh i have an opportunity here to really like make people fall in love with him whereas i think you kind of like like nathanos or you don't i don't know if i move the needle on that you know (laughs) (laughs) well you're a good person to ask because i mean i did try my best to sort of you know at least let you see all sides of him. Oh, I, I fully felt like he was a fully realized character whose guts I hated. Sure, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I, Fair enough. No, you did, a, you did an amazing job of actually making me like feel like, okay, I, I didn't feel bad for him at the end, but I knew he was hurt. Yeah. Like, I knew that that hurt him more than anything else would hurt him. That yeah. one thing of, of the dismissal of it, and again, I don't want to get into too much of spoiler territory here, sure. but feeling dismissed by, by her... It's, to, to him, that's worse than like I, I could destroy everything else and he wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. But making him go through that—that's pain for him. To yeah. feel like you know she just goes, "Well, you're still here," almost. Mm-hmm. Like she almost gives him that, and that's that's like death to him. And he's like, "I'll go, I'll go wait for you." And she's like, "Yeah, whatever." Yeah, and, I that was um that that was fun to write. That was. Uh... I think I I think I pushed that <laughs> a little bit. I, you know, I was like, I I'm very I'm very allergic to trying to do things like to like a little like very like oh well like everything will be status quo at the end of this book, right? Like I don't want that I, emotionally at least. I want things to sort of be in flux. But oh no, uh, absolutely. That's that's a really 
that's to the heart of that character. Is that Agreed. That literally everything else has been sacrificed already. There's only one thing for him to lose. And yes, that's... and like I went, yeah, and what I what I what I was saying before about it, where it's like he's loyal to her. He's not necessarily loyal to the bigger picture of what she's doing. So, to have done all these things and to have sort of made these decisions all in the name of this one thing, and then to realize like how expendable you are <laughs> to a certain degree, uh, is a lot. That's a lot to take on so no, you yeah. did it perfectly it's it's extremely well done but literally nothing will ever make me like Nathanus Maris sorry that's totally fine that's totally fine I've always been I've always been kind of a Nathanus fan so uh but you know and that's and what's interesting too is like there are a lot of characters in this book I'm totally not answering your question that you asked by the way I'm sorry but um I there are a lot of characters in this book that I came in liking a lot and I was trying to be super careful about not letting my own personal bias for them like come through i mean not not in a way that is is a disservice to the story right i think like loving getting to write flynn fairwind is like not a problem to the story but you know i like nathanos but i don't like my job isn't to make him like like sympathetic you know what i mean like i don't want to have my personal interest in him as a character sort of change what's true about him or change that you know what i mean i still want him to feel very realistic and very no, true it, to who he is yeah you it doesn't I feel personally like you find him you know interesting it doesn't read yeah. like you we were writing you know here's my my 300 page in thanos fanfic no absolutely right not. he's not a mary i don't want him to be like yeah. a gary stew or so you know what i mean yeah. like but the, i i feel very conscious of that because like there are some of these characters that i am a huge fangirl for so it's you have to like rein it in and be like, okay, but what would they really do? What would they really? Oh, say? you did a you did an amazing job uh, with Nathanos as the I don't want to say villain because he's not the there's it, again I think it is very much Sylvanas is the one behind the scenes on. Stuff, I mean, he's he really Nathanos he's chief peon number three, <laughs> but he's he's doing a great job. You do a great job with giving that character like the the, the frustration he feels at one point is so palpable like there's he's he's being faced by the the uh, the trolls he's uh, he's allied with they're looking down at him literally physically looking down at him because they're so much bigger than he is and he's standing in the middle of all of them trying to get this thing to work and sir is like you know giving attitude and you can just feel it in waves coming off of him that his preference would be to just to kill everybody there Yes, yeah. and to be, and to be, you know, I think it's funny because he keeps telling, he keeps trying to sell Sira on the mission, right? He's like, mm -hmm. oh, this is really crucial. We really have to do this. Like, you got to see the bigger picture here. But while I think in, deep down inside, he 100% agrees and is like, I wish we could just be, I could just be with Sylvanas, right? Like, he is so mm -hmm. always, like, they're so often separated from each other, even though, you know, like, he's kind of the right-hand guy, but he's so often not physically near her. And to me, that would be, like, awful, right? That's devastating. If you love someone, like, you want to be in physical proximity to them. So that was something I was trying to be cognizant of, too. It's like, yet again, <laughs> she's off doing something. And he's, like, you know, got to go do the yes. dirty work. It's been, and like, what, three expansions of this now? Yeah, yeah and the sense of, like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, can I, you know, like, can I just be there with you? Even on a sense of, like, a protective sense. It's like, yeah, obviously she can handle herself. I'm not, like... Saying, I'm not saying otherwise. But, you still you want know, to protect somebody, even if they believe they can take care of themselves. Right. You still have this sense of like, I should be there with you. I should, you know, what if something goes wrong? So, yeah, I, I think that was uh, a little bug in the back of his head at all at all points, uh, at least when I was thinking about him, because that would annoy me. So I don't know. I think I think he would probably be very fed up with it. And then to have it play out how it does 
in the very end, you know, it's pretty devastating. So, so I, I, I think we've covered just about everything from the book that I can really think of. Matt, do you have anything else you want to ask? Uh, well, we do actually have to stop the podcast at some point. I mean, I could, yeah. we could sit here. We could be could here all day. But I could tell you, I, again, you guys are the first people I've talked to who have read it. So I am like, if you want to go for six hours, because like, <laughs> I'm so like, uh, you know, it's, it's so hard to talk about it without spoilers, especially the, like a lot of people don't even know that Flynn Fairwind is in it at all, period. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's not, he's not, I didn't know he was in it until I saw Not advertised at all. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and same with like, you know, I guess like Taronda, I guess you could assume she's in it, but like people don't know that some of these people are in it. And so when I'm getting questions like, well, who is your favorite person to write? I'm like, I can't say because I can't spoil that the Flynn is in this, but I think it's quite clear that I have you did, like, I, my life writing. I, I'm going to say this. I know I talked about them already. One of the things I really liked about the Flynn-Matthias uh, relationship is not just how their personalities are disparate, but how that works like they 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 feel like they connect on the level of like almost like cogwheels like where they, this guy has points this guy has spaces mm-hmm. like, and yes. and i I, mem- I remember i was describing it briefly to my wife she was asking me like you know what are you reading and I'm, i was like i'm reading this it's for work um and she's like well, you know what what's going on and i i tried to give it a precious and i was like yeah and and of course you know my favorite gay pirate is in fact gay and <laughs> That's you know she's like yeah. really you kept saying that guy was gay I was like yeah no no he is and I'm I'm totally right I don't know yeah. if he's gay or he can be bisexual I don't know I, I'm bisexual sure. after. but I liked the there's a there's like a, a moment where I, I think it just distills out like like just this, this perfect oh see I, I'm I'm kind of rambling here because I liked it so much and I don't know how to put it into words but it was almost like watching like Indiana Jones and James Bond go on a date. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just, <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. But I don't have a question about it. I just wanted to go. <laughs> no, no it, honestly, it was, so much, it was so much fun to do. And, like, you know, and just, again, trying to sort of, like, Shaw has been in this game since minute one, right? He, like, you, if you're Alliance side, especially humans, you meet him so early on. And so for me, I really had to be like, he feels like one of those characters who has a lot of walls, right? Like mm-hmm. he's really kind of stoic and he has his job and he is his job. And that's kind of how I saw the two of them is that because of their childhood, because of um, traumas that they kind of share in a way, they were both put on these paths. And, and this book is them questioning like, okay, is this path correct? If it's correct, is it making me happy? And if I'm not happy, what would make me happy, right? And that's sort of like the point that I both saw them headed towards and why this moment, this time is when it can happen. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, they are so, again, love an odd couple. And they are so, like, I just love having Shaw just like rib him mercilessly <laughs> about everything. And then, but like Flynn's not defenseless, right? He can kind of like poke under the armor in his own way. And yeah, there's uh, respect there. Yeah, there's respect, but there's also like a mutual sort of like exasperated sense of humor about about the other. And, you know, I'm sure it's initially when Shaw was assigned to work with him, he was just like dreading it. Like, oh my God, can you even like this guy really? But, you know, I think Flynn also is like a competent captain and you see him at work. He is good at what he does and... Um, that's always attractive, right? When you see someone like kind of at their best. Uh, 
but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really just have such a soft spot for them. And <laughs> it's like, it's really, it's really exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm really jazzed for all the fan art. That's going to, I hope, I hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the two things I really want to see are them, obviously, but if we don't get some Jarek fan art, I might quit writing <laughs> and go and go into farming or something. I don't know. Um, Folks I at home, I, you, you, you heard it. This is, this is a request. <laughs> I know plenty of you artists listen to us. Now's your time. Yeah, I think Quite frankly, too. Jarek is going to have plenty of fan art because the people are immediately already coming up with ways Rathion can be involved in this. So, of course, of course, yeah, um, yeah. No, I, uh, I, I think too. Maybe my proudest achievement. I almost got the F word in here. I don't know if people notice it, but it, they. I think it's it's Flynn or Shaw. I can't remember. I think it's Flynn is about to say drop the F bomb and gets cut off, and then. I think I have the one and only uh, S word in in WoW books and maybe in the WoW universe. I'm not sure. So those are those are the things I'm proud of. <laughs> Where can you let Maddie swear? That's what I want to know. Um, but you know, and and too, like I know this is going to sound so trite, but like the fact that it's Anduin swearing mm-hmm. to me is actually a big deal. Like that is not that's not me just being funny and just doing it just to do it. It is intent. Like I did think about it, and to me, I think it. I think it is actually important that someone that we sort of see as this golden retriever of the alliance. Like I, I think all those little things are adding up to show just how, just how much pressure he's under at this point. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But well, I'm, I'm, honestly, this is such a joy to like be I actually be able to talk details. <laughs> I'm so relieved you like Sakan because that keeps me up at night. So. No, no, you did it. You successfully got me to like yes. Zakana, a character, yes. and a character whom I would have been cheerful to see get stomped un- into the and ground with the hobnail boots, and you made it so I felt bad when he got hurt. And the so other side of go. the coin, I've I've hated Matthias Shaw for years. You actually made me like him and like oh, feel for him. Oh my god, I like, actually just got like like my hair is just went up on my arms. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm not being dramatic. Like this whole podcast, I've wanted to start crying because I I really do feel so strongly about this book and i'm so i'm so excited but also obviously so petrified <laughs> with how people will respond so just getting to just honestly thank you it, it means so much to, to hear that you like the aspect of it well you're very welcome and thank you for writing it honestly and and this is something we we talk about a lot of the books we talk a lot about the the story of the game and, and everything else um, we're very hypercritical about a lot of that stuff and we're very quick to, as much as we love things, we're very quick to point out, uh, things we don't like. Um, I have a very hard time looking at things in your book that I don't like. Um, you did a very good job. I think, uh, it's, it's different than a lot of the other WoW books, too. And for those of you that are listening at home, if you've made it this far, um, I really encourage you to read it because a lot of the other WoW books, while they focus on different people, they don't have as much going on from as many different perspectives at one time as this one does. Um, and your balance in it, your presentation in it really makes it flow uh, so well. Um, I'm a quick reader, but 
I literally sat down with your book and the next thing I knew my entire day had gone by because I had read the entire <laughs> thing cover to cover. Um, and this is with me stopping to make notes and highlights and, and everything else. Um, that's rare for me to get absorbed into something like that. Um, so you did a fantastic job with that. Um, and it also made me very eager to pick up several of your other books that are currently sitting around my house. Um, oh, thank you. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. Yeah, I hope <laughs> they have me back because honestly, I, this is probably the book I wrote the fastest in my entire life. I think I wrote it in a month. I was just, it was just such a joy. It made me so happy to work on that. I was like, just so jazzed to sit down to work every day. And I, I do love this world so much and these characters so much that it was like, you know, I, Obviously, they paid me, but <laughs> I was like, can I pay you to keep doing this? This is like the most fun I've ever had. So I really sincerely hope that people love it and that I get to come back because uh, I had a I had a great time. And it, it really just, uh, I don't know, it was just such a cool bucket list kind of thing. I'm such a huge fan of this world. And to get to have any tiny, tiny mark on it has just been the coolest experience of my life. Well, I guess with that, we should probably start bringing this to a close. Um, before I do our final outro, I'm going to throw it over to you, Madeline. Uh, is there anything you want to say to our listeners out there? Uh, anything you want to push besides, obviously, this book? Uh, where can they find you? What other works can they find you in? Uh, and, yeah, lay, lay it out there. Sure. Um, so, obviously, I hope you get Shadows Rising. I hope you love it. Um, I had the most fun ever doing it. Uh, if you like the Traveler books, I did the third one. Um, or just go pick those up. They're great. Um, they're really fun. Little adventure. Uh, I also have two young adult series out there. I have Asylum and House of Theories. So if you're into either kind of straight horror stuff, I'd go do... Not that it's like... There's queer people in it. That's not what I mean. <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> Pure horror. Oh, it, the straight yeah. people are! Ah, the straights are at it again. Um... <laughs> No, I would say if you like sort of, um, you know, American Horror Story, I would go with Asylum. If you like more sort of uh, Crimson Peak, House of Furies is very much in that vein. Um, I have an adult sci-fi range that's that started last year. Salvaged is the first book. Uh, the second book, which is they're all standalones in the same sci-fi universe. Uh, the second one should be out next year. I have another young adult book coming out next year. And yeah, I wrote for Star Wars. So if you like Star Wars, I'm in From a Certain Point of View, the first edition and oh my gosh oh and then i'm on twitter you can find me there at a-u-t-h-o-r-o-u-x it's the same on instagram and i have a facebook fan page as well if you need to reach out to me especially if you want to talk about something spoilery from the book don't like publicly tweet it at me <laughs> at least not for the first week i'm trying to preserve the experience with people uh, but i have a, an email address listed in my bio so um, i'm usually very quick to respond well, again, thank you very, very much for joining us. I encourage everybody out there to read this. And, uh, yeah, I, I want to hear other people's takes on this as far as what they love and what they, uh, their thoughts on it. But be constructive, folks. I don't, <laughs> that was, I, that was I like that you caught yourself there. What they loved and what they loved slightly less. Yeah. Because yeah. there's always going to be somebody who hates the stuff, but I don't, I want to, I want to hear more the positive Feel side of things. Talk about how much the Thanos Mara sucks. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 a, I'm not. I'm not I'm totally fine with criticism. Like, trust me, I'm a woman on the internet. I can handle. Yeah, it's uh, it's more the like harassment slash hatred. Oh yeah, don't uh, do that. You know, that's, that's I'm sure yes. there's typos. I'm sure I made mistakes. Like, I get it. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm totally fine with criticism as long as it's given in a constructive way. way. Yeah, yeah, I'll respect you if you respect me. That's that's how it goes. 
But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, so once again, thank you very, very much. Uh, and everybody, we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.